You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Great. So anyways, we're in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 and following. And uh, hopefully, if you don't have a Bible with you or a Bible app, um, we do have Bibles here. Anybody need one right now as we go through this uh, teaching of Jesus? Okay, Matthew 25. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went out at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five uh, more talents, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So... I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was mine own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to every one who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the utter darkness, in the place where there is will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. Maybe this is a familiar a parable to you. I, I'm, I um, am amazed at different times when I've read it before. And um, one thing that I think we have to realize right away from this parable, along with the other teachings in Matthew 25 and at the end, of, just before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, is this, that life is not a merry-go-round, that you just keep going around and around and around. But the way God has set it up is it's a straight path. There has been a beginning. There is a middle. And there is an end goal. And that's what's being assumed here by Jesus is saying, okay, You've been begun with me, you're journeying with me, and now there is going to be an end goal. I'm headed toward Jerusalem, but after I leave, after I depart this world, after I ra- I'm risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, now the question is, what do you do with your life before the end, the glorious end, when he returns again in glory? What are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to live in response to the gospel? It's kind of like, now what? Now what do we do? Okay, 
And so in Matthew 25, these parables, this is one of them, speak to that in-between time between Christ when he came, when he conquered sin and death, when he died, when he rose from the dead, and when he'll come again. How do we live in this in-between time? Now, I know some Christians, I've even said it myself, you know, when things aren't going so well or whatever in life, I say, oh, well, it's all going to burn anyway. Have you ever heard anybody say something like that? It's kind of like basically saying, well, it doesn't really matter. Whatever happens here doesn't matter. I don't think that's a real Christian understanding of the gospel. Jesus says it does matter. What you do here matters. How your life is lived matters. You make a difference, and it affects even eternity. And this parable speaks to that today. Your life matters. And so we have this parable of the talents. Sure, life's messy, life's tough, life's difficult, life seems like it doesn't go anywhere at times, but there is a point to it all. There is a purpose to your life, and there is a direction. And boy, that gives me great hope. And I hope it will to you today, too. So you're gifted with talents. Now, when you hear that, you think right away about, you know, maybe your special abilities, right? Hidden talents, like me muting my own mic when I didn't know it. Um, but what is a talent in the Bible? Because did you notice in this text, a talent is something different than what you think um, maybe. The talent in the Bible is a weight, a measurement, okay? It's a weight specifically... You can even calculate it. It's 58.9 kilograms. What, 125 pounds or so of gold? Just think about that, okay? So gold, um, this week I checked it out. Gold um, is going for uh, $34,774.25 per kilogram. How many kilograms of gold are you going to buy this week, right? So if it's 58.9 times 34,774.25, one talent is worth over $2 million. <laughs> $2 million. I mean, huge. Do you know what that means? That means everyone is given so much. So it's not like, oh, I've been given one measly talent. I don't have much. God is not skimpy. God is generous. God endows all of us with so much. Even the least amount is a lot. And it's amazing. So one person got over 10 million, another person got over 4 million, and one person got over $2 million dollars when his master bestowed. These were not just peon servants. They were entrusted with great wealth and great riches for the sake of the master. No one has a little. But maybe that's what a talent means in the Bible. It doesn't mean just an ability or something I can do, but it's really a huge endowment of gold. But what does the talent in this 
parable represent, okay? You understand parables are kind of these metaphorical stories. They're not metaphors, but they are stories of comparison. And so what does that represent? And I think there's a clue to this found right at the beginning, I think, of uh, about verse 15, where he says, to each one he gave five talents to another, two to another one. And it says this, to each according to his ability. In other words, some people, according to their abilities, were given more. So it's not the ability itself, but if you have a lot of abilities, what do you look for? What are you searching for? If you can do a, if you can sing, what do you look for? A chance to sing, an opportunity. I believe talents are really the golden moments of opportunity that we are given again and again for God's kingdom. A talent is a golden moment of opportunity. You are given many golden moments of opportunity throughout life. So I think um, the question becomes this. Am I using those golden opportunities God gives me and God places before me? Am I investing myself in this world for the sake and on behalf of my master, as these servants were called to do? Now, I think there's help in this parable by contrasting the, the different servants and their responses. And you'll notice, first of all, that both servants that invested, both servants that were faithful, both servants that did something and risked something, first of all, they didn't lose anything. Did you notice that? Both of them doubled their income. Both of them were rewarded with the same statement from the master. So it didn't matter if you had five or two. It didn't matter the amount that you were given up front. The end result was well done, good and faithful servant for both of them. And they both entered the joy of their master. So I know life's, quote, not fair, unquote. Some people are more gifted or have more opportunities than others. It's not about how many opportunities you have. It's what you do with them. It's not about how much stuff you got. It's what you do with it. It's how you respond to it. And regardless you can hear, I can hear the same words from our master, and I believe you will and I will. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a little, now you're going to get a lot. Enter the joy of your master. Now, I think it's time to contrast the three servants. You've got the two faithful ones and the other one who's called slothful or lazy and wicked. What's the difference between them? The first two were determined to make a profit. The third was determined not to lose anything. The first two were willing to work hard and take risks. The third took no risk. The first two received the gift, the third refused the gift. The first two wanted to advance their master's domain. 
The third didn't have any interest in his master's domain. The first two viewed money as the opportunity it was. The third saw that money as a problem. The first two allowed the master's gift to actually change their lives, change their behavior, change the way they conducted themselves. The third person, no change at all. He could do as he pleased. He lived the way he wanted. The first two knew who their master was. The third guy had no clue who his master really was. The first two lived for his ma their master. The third lived for himself. And the first two trusted their master. The third one feared his master and even avoided his master. So that is really the contrast that happens in this text. And I think that starts to clarify what is really going on here. The question that I had to answer myself this week and I have to answer almost every day is, so what am I doing with the opportunities God gives me? What am I doing with all of the things that come my way? What will I do with my life? What direction is it going? I have been gifted with golden opportunity time and again, day after day. His mercies are new each morning. It doesn't change from day to day in one sense. And in another sense, it's a new opportunity every day. Regardless of how, what I did yesterday or last week or last year, don't look back and start regretting everything that you've ever, oh, I didn't do this, I didn't do this. It's today. It's tomorrow. You've got golden opportunities now, so what are you going to do with it? And maybe there are going to be some tough choices, and it might not be as clear-cut as what I'm going to share right now, but I think we have these types of choices at times. Should I respond to this inner urge to invest myself as either like a teacher, as an occupation, a vocation, as a social worker, to get into the lives of it? Should I, should I volunteer to, with foster, you know, you name it, foster children or whatever? Or do I kind of play it safe and go down the path to just worry about my income and not get involved and entangled in anybody else's life? See what I mean? Should I take the time to join like a missional community here at Thrive and get involved in things here to learn uh, to grow in a discipleship huddle of some type that we would have an offer? Or should I just kind of reserve my Tuesday nights or my Thursday nights to watch TV and my favorite shows? Should I get involved in my neighbor and her seemingly unending slew of issues and problems and difficulties, or do I just kind of um, avoid that and use my evenings to decompress for myself? I think that's what this is getting at. Now, those might be obnoxiously obvious as to what answer they should be, and I don't think our lives tend to be that way, but I do believe it's usually a choice between seeking personal comfort and finding purposeful mission. Those are your choices throughout life from day to day. Is today going to be a day where I look for God's purpose and mission or is it where I just seek my own personal comfort? Kind of on a side note, Phil and I were at a conference up in... Um, 
Orlando yesterday and the day before, Kyrie was there too, and we were sharing about both Thrive and what we're doing here, and it was kind of focused on trying to reach generations of people with the gospel. And in my presentation, I think the problem is every church, every Christian that I know will say they want to reach the next generation. They want to share their faith so long as. It's comfortable. So long as it doesn't take too much time. And so a lot of churches will look for the latest, greatest technique or something they can add on or do. But instead, what I think Jesus is calling us in this parable, myself personally, is to take the risk and to invest myself fully into the lives of the people around me without any guarantee exactly how it's going to turn out, but realizing that's exactly what Jesus did, and that's what he does, and that's what he's about. So instead of being friendly to people, I become a friend of people. And I get changed, just like these two that took the talent and let it change them. Let it change the way they lived, the way they worked, what they focused on, and how things turned out in their lives versus the third person who didn't let him change them him at all and just buried it and walked away pretty early on actually so he could do whatever he wanted until his master returned he had it easy comfortable you might say Jesus kind of says it very simply to his disciples and maybe that's what this parable really is about it's in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, when he was teaching, he said, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He knows you need clothing and shelter and, you know, all sorts of things in life. He, you know, but if you seek those first, you'll miss the kingdom. Seek the kingdom first, he'll throw all those other things in as well. So between the time of Christ's resurrection and his coming again in glory, as our path is going in a straight direction, it's not just spinning in circles and we're not wasting our time. Jesus is calling us to be faithful in getting involved in the lives of people, caring for them, serving them, building them up, sharing the gospel. And that is risky business. That is sticking your neck out at times. And in reflecting on this passage this week, I realized how often it is so easy for me personally to be driving down the road and realizing, I know a guy who works at this place. I could stop by and see how he's doing, or I can just keep going home. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if he really wants to see me. I, he might think I'm intruding. I really kind of care about him, and I know he's not... Um, connected anywhere, and I know, well, do I take the chance? Do I stop? Do I take just a little risk? Or do I just kind of play it safe and keep heading home? That's my personal struggle with this, and I think I know what the answer is supposed to be now, more and again, to take the chance and to take the risk. 
So that third servant, he had nothing because he risked nothing. He had the one great talent, the one thing that he could have if all the other opportunities were there. The one opportunity he had from the beginning was to give himself to his master, to receive the gift his master had. And the last thing I want anyone here to do at Thrive at any time we ever have a worship service or anything is to miss the gift and the one golden moment and opportunity to receive the gift of Jesus himself like this person did. Do you realize he did it because he didn't understand his master? He said, I'm afraid, well, that you reap where you do not sow and you gather where you scattered no seed. You know, I mean, that's kind of weird language, but basically, you're a master who takes... You don't actually do anything. You just suck us dry. That's what he was saying. I think there are a lot of people who look at God as if that's the kind of God he is. And he is not. God instead is the one who doesn't leave you dangling there wondering what to do, but he is the one who is hanging there upon a cross for you. He's not the one where you have to question, well, what does he want? He's the one who asks the question, why? Why have you forsaken me? He's not the one who tells you, do, 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 you better, you better, you better. He is the one who says, it is done, it is finished, it is completed. And he pours out everything for you. He invests everything in you. He gives you all that he has. And what you have, he wants that golden opportunity to be with you forever. And he offers that to you both today and always. That's yours. He gifts you with talents, with opportunities abundant, and he's not skimpy about it. And today he comes to us both here and he says, take and eat, take and drink. This is me given for you, my body, my blood poured out for you. He invests himself in your life. He takes the great risk of offering everything and you can turn him away. But he risks anyways and gives everything to you. He is the giving God who sows where he will have you reap and who scatters where he will have you gather. Did you notice in this parable? He said, take the one talent from the one and give it to the one who has ten. Do you realize the master didn't take the talents away? He let the servants have it all. He gave the talents and everything they did to the servants and celebrates for eternity with them. That's your God. He gives and gives and gives. So here's three things I take from this today. Very practical. First point, 
take risks. Take a risk for God's kingdom. And when I'm saying take a risk, I'm really saying take time out for someone. Because God's kingdom is really about people. It's not about stuff. You know, it's all his anyways. So take a risk. This week, maybe it's not when you're driving home, like for me, going like, huh, maybe I should stop by and see. But it could be when you're walking from class, or it could be when you're out on the golf course, or it could be when you're shopping, or when, you're, when you could pick up the phone, or whatever. But take a risk to build a relationship and invest in the life of someone else. This is how um, Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Basically, take a risk, be open, have plenty of conversations with people who are different than you. Show them love, show them truth. Be love, be truth to them. Take the chance. They might not accept, but maybe they just will. Secondly, I think just like Finally, the third person did, but secondly, we need to name our fears. What is it that I'm afraid of? Why don't I make that stop? Why don't I make that phone call? Why don't I take the chance? Why don't I use that golden opportunity? What am I scared of? And let it be known what it is and then realize, Lord, this not, what, it's, it's fear, false expectations appearing real. It's not even real. I'm afraid, oh my goodness, this guy is, you know, I come there and he thinks I'm going to be, he's probably going to say, and in fact, this has happened to me a couple, hey, it's great to see you, why are you stopping by? Oh, I just wanted to see how you were doing. Oh, wow. Unexpected. You know what I mean? What are we afraid of? Name it, and then say, Lord, you're much more important than this fear. In fact, you can overcome this fear. You know, there are a lot of people who are, have looked like they've done a lot in this world. They've got a lot. They have so much stuff. But in the end, really, they haven't really invested in anybody else's life. And I think it reminds me of what Jesus said in Matthew 16, a few chapters before our text. He told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? There's a lot of people that have gained it all, who have not taken the risk, who have not entrusted themselves to their master, who have buried and gone out about their business. What have they really gained? And then thirdly, a very practical, do you realize that planting a church is one of the riskiest things you can do? You're usually outside of your zone. You usually, you're taking chances. It's very vulnerable. You're inviting people to something, to a fellowship that's just forming, that's just like a little baby or a toddler that doesn't have all the bells and whistles, 
but you're inviting them to a relationship with you, with others, and with Jesus. And really, in the end, maybe that's risky, but that's what it is all about anyway. And regardless of what you do, even in a church planting situation like this or somewhere else where you're developing new relationships and trying to reach new people and connect more people to Jesus and to others, You know what you're going to hear? Well done, good and faithful servant. I entrusted you with a little. Boy, you're going to get a lot more. Enter the joy of your master. Let's pray.